Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Abona Tennis Online Coaching Podcast. You are tuning in for a very special episode, as this is the first time I've ever had a guest on and something that I will be trying to do more of, especially if I can talk to more people like Marcelo Ferreira, who is the director of high-performance tennis at the Windy Hill Club here in Atlanta. You know, he's doing an incredible job trying to teach kids with culture first, tennis second. Okay, character is a big thing and his unique process, which in a way shouldn't be so unique, but it's become unique because of, you know, how hard it is to find an academy that really takes a holistic approach uh, that really cares about the kids and doing everything possible with everything they do, including their fitness, their yoga, meditation, sports psychologists, uh, and the way they limit how many kids are on their courts uh, while trying to get them to be uh, great people first, hard workers first, and tennis players second. So please check out the details in this podcast so you can see how to reach out to him in case you're ever in Atlanta or you just want to pick his brain on you know what you can do to help your kid try to get to a better place in tennis. Enjoy it. All right, Marcelo, man, thank you so much for, for jumping on, just giving me some time to talk to you. Uh, and, and, and you must know this is a special moment because you are the only guest I've ever had on my podcast. You are the first, um, and we've talked about this for so long, so I'm so glad we're finally able to do this. You're a busy man uh, running an incredible program there that we're going to talk about, but thank you and uh, welcome. Well, I'm so honored, man, you know, like to be the first guest on your big podcast. I love that. So yeah, th- thanks for having me. Just like you said, it's something we've been talking about for for a while now you know it almost goes back to when I started the academy so I I look forward to discussing some interesting topics with you today and hopefully we get to do more often yeah well you you definitely your story is going to need multiple podcasts because just I mean just the entire your entire story of how you even got to where you were I mean that's a whole another one uh you know from from becoming a ball boy in Brazil to coming to Georgia College having to improve your English, then becoming a coach, Texas Tech, Pepperdine. I mean, you, you've done this in a way that, uh, I mean, most people have not. Um, and it's really awesome. I think if people, if people really knew that, like the effort you put into, I was reading your story about how you were jumping over the fence on Sundays to go play tennis, just because, I mean, like, and I'm sure you encounter this now, which is something that we struggle with at times. Like, we have people that won't go to a great academy just because it's 15 minutes too far, right? The traffic is yeah. just too much. Yeah. And, and here we have somebody like you who took bus rides, right, to get to places, um, jumping over fences, just went to a club with no racket or tennis ball. Um, you know, I mean, just, wow, here you are. So just, I mean, talk a little bit about that, and, and then we'll get into your program. Sure, man. And, and it's so funny that you brought that up because yesterday I was talking to, to my coaches about how, you know, I just don't remember a coach ever having to tell me to work hard. You know, it's just like it was something so innate, but a lot of my coaches feel the same way. And, and I don't like to sound so cliche and just blame it on always generational. I think there's a combination of factors that make some of our kids today to not have that drive and that grit. But going back, just to kind of summarize, like you, you mentioned, I come from a very humble family. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't struggle, but my dad worked and he just really made enough to 
put food on the table and pay bills. Uh, I grew up as a soccer player, like everybody in Brazil is almost like if you if you don't play soccer, it's, it's sacrilege. So, <laughs> but but because I have this competitive drive, I started getting really frustrated when I lost games, and I'm like, I don't have any control. Even though in tennis, it's not like you have total control, but a little bit more because it's in your hands. So I started going to this club, this public club, uh, which was like a 20 minutes bus, 20 minute bus ride with a buddy of mine, just like you said, with no rackets, no balls. And it was a beat up club, JY, beat up club. You know, it's, it's Sao Paulo, there's poverty. So when, when you talk about public clubs, it's not a public tennis center, it's not Bitsy Grant or Chatham <laughs> Park. You know, it's beat up with holes all over the, the, the clay courts. But we would come in with like this, puppy face, you know, like in some of the older gentlemen, you know, like we're talking about back in 1990, 91, 92, playing really old school, all, all white and, and, and uh, white t-shirts and shorts. And they would hook us up with some old wooden rackets and we'll just hit against the wall. Uh, as I felt like, man, you know, I feel like I got a little bit of touch for this. I enjoy it. I contacted a couple of my friends that were working at different academies in Sao Paulo, because back then was very, very common. You know, the, the labor laws were very lax. And so every academy had multiple ball boys. So you would come in and say, you know, like, I'd like to take a private lesson. And they would come to me and say, uh, Marcel, uh, Mr. Uh, JY, would you like to, to have a ball boy for your lesson? And it was like a dollar extra. So everybody would take it. This buddy of mine calls me lunchtime, a, the, the afternoon ball boy just, quit. If you want the job, you got to take it right now. So I mean, like, there I am super young telling my mom, hey, do you mind if I take this job? I jumped on a bike. And that's how I started, you know, just working from 1pm to 11pm, man, every freaking day from a very young age, learning from everything that I listened, I was just all eavesdrop, listen a little bit, try to apply everything that I heard on the wall. Uh, started getting better. I've been blessed to have a lot of really good people on my path, man. You know, that's the thing. It's just, yes, it's important to have the drive and the dedication, but you got to come across good people. The owner of the academy, who was a Davis Cup player, you know, well-known in Brazil, decided to pay for my federation membership. And he said, I'll pay for you to go to two tournaments a month. You wear the T-shirt representing the academy. And then I sort of started my journey competing, moved up to a hitting partners so now this guy would actually invite me to come to his lessons to hit with his students by age 16 17 i got my coaching certification with the brazilian confederation and that was it man you know like i started coaching playing tournaments went to college for three years back home you know to get my my physical education degree but in the meantime you know alongside that i started playing some futures some challengers like pre-qualies. And that's when an agency saw me play and they were like, hey, you should try to go play college. At that time, man, I was already 19 or 20. Never left the country. Could not even say my name is Marcelo in English. I'm like, just could not do it. And I didn't even know that there was such a thing as college tennis. I really didn't. You know, I was happy, okay. Come from a humble family. I'm teaching tennis. I'm coaching tennis. I'm making good money. I go to college. I play terms. I live with my family. Life is great. It can't get much better. But after talking to me about that, it, it just got into my head, you know, let me do some research. I got excited about the idea. My parents were really freaking out. 
Uh, but they're like, we're going to support you. But then September 11th happened. Uh, I was supposed to go that January, that following January 2022. Obviously, my family was like, no chance. You're not going to college. So the idea just kind of died down. The scholarship that was waiting for me, I didn't think the coach was going to wait. But he said, if you want to wait for things to die down and come the next opportunity in August, I'll wait for you. So that's when I kept studying for the TOEFL, the SAT, came, had an incredible experience, man, you know, best decision I've ever made. It was tough. It was really tough. Uh, when I tell you that I, my English was bad, JY, we, we really talking about people saying nice to meet you and I would reply with a what? You know, you, you, it was that bad. Uh, I couldn't order McDonald's, you know, like the first day in America after my coach picked me up, we went to McDonald's to grab breakfast, but in Brazil, we don't have breakfast at McDonald's. So at nine o'clock in the morning, I'm ordering a Big Mac. And that was the only thing that I had in my mind, Big Mac, please, Big Mac, please. Right. And the lady kept saying to me, you know, there's no Big Mac, but I just kept saying, yes, yes, Big Mac. And my coach realized I'm in trouble. This guy's not gonna be able to pass, you know, one class. Uh, but I was able to overcome that and spend my three years playing because due to eligibility issues, I was already 21 when I came. I only had three years. Went back to Brazil after graduation, thinking, okay, it's done. Let me just go back to my routine because at that point, I got my physical education degree, but it's like, crap, I'm gonna go back to the same academy. I had this amazing life experience. A month later, my coach calls me. Hey, Amen, because I was the team captain before I left. And he's like, I'd like for you to come back and be my uh, assistant coach. I don't have a lot of money to pay you. I got a stipend of 400 bucks a month, but I can pay for your masters. My parents were not thrilled because they, we waited three years for you to come back and now you're leaving again. But they knew it was a good opportunity. Went back and the rest is history. You know, like I put in a year with Georgia College. I was able to recruit one of the best classes we've ever had. The opportunity to go to Texas Tech came along. And then I put in seven years there, six years with Pepperdine, and now I've been in Atlanta for five. Man, just, you know, to, to, to take that story and then, I mean, let's fast forward to where you are here at Windy Hill, you know, where it's a complete different upbringing of kids that we all work with, you know, and, and it just is what it is, right? But, yeah, yeah, I mean, how do you use, like, I think that's something that I, I try to keep in mind is, like, that's why I felt traveling for me, playing tournaments in other countries, uh, just seeing the world, meeting other people was helpful for to me because while I can't truly feel what you felt, the sacrifices you have made, they're no like my sacrifices were not anywhere near yours, right? But just the more I, I meet people like you, the more I can keep that in mind to like when I have a bad day, like, hey man, like I'm doing okay, you know? So, when you see the kids that you're trying to work with and trying to help them chase their dreams, get into college tennis, you know, the, uh, you have a homeschool program there and you get these, Oh, I'm tired, man. Or, oh, like I'm playing bad tennis. Like, Oh, I hate this. Like, Oh, my legs hurt. Or, Oh, why, why am I practicing on this court? You know? And you're like, and you're sitting in this beautiful windy hill club and you think about where you came from. I mean, how do you, how do you help these kids kind of get through that without also you know, being unfair to them, 
right? You know, trying to motivate them, but in a way where it's respectful um, and, and understanding of what they're going through. Well, and that's a great question. It's a, and it's a challenging one because I think, like I said in the beginning of our conversation, it's easy to say, oh, it's generational. It's this, it's that. You know, a lot of these kids have nothing to lose. I had everything to lose if I didn't step up. But it's not true. I just feel like a lot of the kids that we work with, me and you and all the other coaches, they have a lot of the skills and qualities that you and I have, but coaches have not tapped into it. Okay, so I believe that kids thrive with discipline. They thrive when coaches are tough on them. So the goal is to build them up, not tear them down. But I, I tell them all the time, you know, the way you build muscles, you got to break fibers. So some days... I'm going to have to break you a little bit and make you feel like crap, man. You know, this coach, all he does is rip me. But here's the thing. From the from the years when I was coaching in Brazil and then playing coaching in college, I believe that when you show these players that you truly care about them as people, who they become as human beings, uh, when you care about their effort and not whether they're winning or losing, they can take the ripping a lot easier because you know this is coming from somebody who has shown over and over and over again that he really cares about me so if he's coming to me and saying i'm disappointed you're not bringing the effort okay maybe i need to step up so yeah you know finding that balance when i need to raise my voice a little bit and be a little bit more stern or just be a little bit more loving you know there, i don't think there's a perfect formula you kind of have to feel it in your gut depending on who you're handling who you're dealing with for me to say to you this is how i do it always I will be lying because I have kids here that are way tougher and I can I can get on them, you know, just go dead on. Some other kids, I need to sit down and put my arm around them and just say, hey, this is not going to be acceptable here. But overall, they know coming into this academy, they will be pushed in a way that they're not used to. They will be put in a situation where their failure is everybody else's failure. Because the moment that they feel, if I'm not stepping up, everybody else runs. Everybody else gets punished. Because it's that whole win together that we have on the back of our shirts. I tell them, is win together, lose together. Because the one thing that I realized that a lot of junior coaches failed to do when I would get these freshman recruits coming on campus, they were selfish because they were never taught how to be selfless. They were never taught how to care for one another. They didn't learn that there are consequences within a team when you don't step up. So I really hold them accountable big time here when they show up and they say, uh, you know, like, coach, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to run four balls because my, my legs are really sore from the workout yesterday. So you're not going to run the four balls, but you're not going to train. You, are you, are you going to play tennis? Oh, I'm okay for tennis. No, you're not. So you got two options. You got two options. You can take the day off and you tell mom and dad, mom, dad, I'm really sore. The money that you put into that practice, I want to waste today and go home. Or you can power through and do both. It takes one second. You know what? I'm doing both. So instead of like me saying you are doing both, I present a situation that makes them realize which one do I take? And then they make the decision to do both uh, because they don't know the difference between soreness and injuries, okay? I never want to get a kid to power through an injury and get more hurt. No chance. That's, we're not in that business. But I'm in the business of creating 
kids with thicker skin. And I try to talk to them a lot of times, like I said, instead of me just saying, you are going to do that, I use examples of people they respect. When I share my story with them, the one that I just shared with you, is not to impress them. I don't care about that. It's to impress upon them that, hey, just like me, there's other people out there going through this. All of you guys are coming to this program that we call a college prep program. Do you really think that your competition to college is kids from the academy down the street? You're competing against some nasty, greedy Turkish kid, some natty, greedy Serbian kid, some kid in Brazil like me who is willing to freaking bleed on the court. Okay, so what's going to get you outside of this little pool of normal, average, mediocre kids? Because what you're doing right now is mediocrity. So show me that you got more in you because even though we work them hard, I tell them all the time, I work you guys hard. But there's a lot of other people working their kids hard too. What's going to get you better? It's character. It's toughness. It's being that type of player, six or in a third. Okay? So when you watch somebody like Rafa in the changeovers and you see blisters all over the hands, bleeding, you don't think that hurts? I'll show a video of that guy. I, I keep forgetting his name. Remember a few years ago, I think he's a South Korean guy who was in the semifinals of the U.S. Open and he quit in the semis because his foot was completely destroyed. Young Chung. Yes. And I'm like, look at that. Do you understand the desire this guy had to play? And you guys are telling me your nail hurts a little bit and you don't want to play? Give me a freaking break. So they understand it. We do things here. I'll, I'll, I'll use it as, as an example. I'm a big believer of grunting. I believe grunting is helpful. It shows intention. It shows engagement. It helps with flow of the movement. We had that rule at Pepperdine that wasn't instituted by me. Adam Steinberg had a, oh, I know. Had a sign on the locker room, in the locker room. We had a few rules that were non-negotiables. You push your teammates at all times. You grunt all the time. You move your feet insanely and you accelerate your racket like there's no tomorrow. And if you didn't abide by them, you're out. Everybody's running. And I do that here. I do that here. It's non-negotiable. So they're supposed to push their teammates. They're supposed to grunt. When they don't do it, I don't shout because we have a contract. They sign the contract. We all sit together and there's the non-negotiables contract. And I tell them, guys, if you cannot sign, that's okay. You got to tell me why. You got to tell me why. But the moment you sign, you're going to be held accountable to it. So I just say, guys, I don't call names. I don't like to expose kids. A couple of your teammates did not do a good job. Rackets down, run. Hey, again, didn't do a good job. And what, what I do all the time, I tell them, guys, the goal is not to point fingers. So you don't know who is not doing it. But if you know you are doing it, push somebody. You'll be surprised, JY, when you, saw, when you see nine, 10-year-olds pushing kids five courts away. Let's go, guys. Come on, grunt. It's so refreshing. So that's why I said that I feel like they all have it, but we need to put them in situations that allow them to tap into that skill that sometimes is so hidden because nobody pushed them to that limit. So we're not really reinventing the wheel, but we are, me and the staff, we believe in what we're trying to do, we're not concerned about parents not being happy with you pushing their kids a little bit more. 
And we're completely okay with the parents saying, it's not the environment for my kid. Perfect, because your kid's not my type of player anyway. But I'll tell you the truth. I think we got a, I, I should keep better track of it, but I'll say our retaining rate is close to 95 to 97%. So some kids leave, but it's okay. They don't belong here anyway. Yeah, well, and I think when you say that, people shouldn't take it the wrong way. Like, look, there's multiple ways to enjoy the game in tennis. There's, you know, tennis at a collegiate and professional level is not for everybody. And it's okay to be a recreational player. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't, you know, it's, that's what sometimes people, I think they, they, they might come to your program and they're like, oh no, he, he's so tough. It's like, no, no, no. Like, this is just the only way if you want to be college tennis. There's, there's really no other way, right? If you want to be a division one college player, have a chance at playing pro, um, be a great junior. There's, there's not five different ways. You know, and I think any other program that sells you on something different, that's what they're doing. They're selling you, you know, and yeah. what I love yeah. about what you do is like you, you have everything you're trying to teach, your culture, your character, team, selfless. And, and you, you, we've had conversations about this in the past. Like you are not afraid to either send somebody home or kick them out of your program, which is actually a good thing. You know, I think so many academies are so concerned about their bottom line and their revenue that they'll have that terrible relationship and terrible player that brings the energy down in their academy for years, just trying to make it work. When in reality, the truth is the only way it's going to make it work is if they leave, you know? And yeah, I mean, how do you handle that? Because that's, that's gotta be a tough conversation and a tough feeling for yourself too. Because look, you, yes, you're trying to build kids, but at the same time, if you're, not making any money for your club at the same time, that's not going to work either. You have a family. So to balance that both, I mean, that, that's got to be tough, but you stay strong. I mean, walk, walk us through what you go through there. You know, so we, again, I'm, I'm such a fortunate guy because to be able to instill and follow through with this culture, I need the support of the club, right? To understand if it came down to it, we got 60 kids and I wanted to get rid of 40 of them. Am I going to get criticism from corporate or my GM? And that's not going to happen. You know, like I came in and they understood we're trying to develop good people. I truly believe, you know, my mission has been from the get-go to develop great character, to develop great citizens through the game of tennis. And I believe on the, on, when those values become part of who they are, tennis is going to happen. Because when you learn how to be, a, a professional, you show work ethic, you show dedication, everything else we can coach. So when I have feel like I have the freedom and the support of my administration, I can do it. And that has never been an issue. But losing players has not been an issue. Like I said, we probably had to do it three, four times in three years. Because some kids come in, they'll struggle at first because it is a, a big cultural shock. When they come from other academies, crap, I, I need to push my teammate. I need to grunt. You know, I'm, it's mandatory for me to do fitness. You know, I'm paying for it, but if I want to go home earlier, oh, I need, yes, there's no negotiation here. Okay, you're going to do it. Uh, so I would love to say, oh, it's such a struggle, but it's not, you know, because I was, I was lucky to get four coaches with me that have completely bought in. 
I didn't have to really teach them. I made sure that through the interview process, they knew exactly what I expected. And I'm like, if it's not for you, it's okay. I need somebody with energy, somebody who is a disciplinarian, somebody who's going to coach. I can get a janitor from outside to hold a racket and say, follow through, bend your knees in, and just move your feet. It doesn't take a tennis coach to do that. I wanted to be a tennis coach when it comes to really. So during practice, we're stopping kids all the time to talk about technique. Since we have that four to one ratio, we're able to have our cell phones. We're recording the kid. Come here, let me show you this. Okay. And we're able to catch kids not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they run or they get kicked out. So, you know, man, you play college. I coached in college such a long time. When a healthy culture is in place, it might take a little while in the beginning, but when that culture becomes strong enough, it's really hard to break it, okay? You just got to keep an eye open for the cancers. And just like you said, you don't want to give up on a kid, but when a kid becomes cancerous, if you don't cut it, you will take over the entire academy. So all these kids, they have three strikes. And each strike is a major violation of our culture. It's not just like, oh, you didn't move your feet, one. No, it's something major like you're disrespecting a coach. You, you're disrespecting a fitness coach. You're going to a tournament and cheating, getting point penalties, misrepresenting what we teach here. is using foul language, okay? Those are major strikes that when they get added, uh, added up after three, you're done. No matter how much I like you, you're done. Yeah, and... It, it, you, what's so awesome and refreshing is how you know it's culture first. This is Windy Hills about their culture. I think that's why you stand out. It's the way you do stuff. It's not, you know, uh, oh, like for sure you guys have great players. You have Mason playing at Eddie Hur semifinals at doubles, right? You know, you've had Hannah finals. coming in finals. He wants it. Oh my god, him, him, and Ryan. You know, like, and that that's a team right there. Is exciting because. We, I want everybody to do well, I man. There's really no jealousy. So we got these two amazing Georgia players, you know, Ryan Kozat and, and Mason. They're, Mason got to the finals last year, unfortunately fell short. And, and now they made it to the finals yesterday. So sorry to interrupt you. No, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, it's um, – it, but it's – I think that's what's unique about you guys. They, look, there's not, – not only just in Atlanta, but most big cities, there's tennis academies everywhere. Right. But how do you choose which one and what's the difference? You know, I talk a lot with, with parents about, look, I mean, it, it, if your child is not a hard worker, it doesn't matter what I teach them. You know, th there's a point like I've, I've had to encounter like lessons. I've been with them for a while where I'm like, they know what I'm going to teach them. They know what I expect. I'm like, what do you want me to tell you? You want me to remind you that you, what, why am I going to teach you forehand technique if you're not working hard, why am I going to teach you forehand technique? If you're not going to discipline yourself, you know, it's, it's creating, it's having the culture to create the players and then the tennis comes after, right? People try to teach yeah. tennis first and then they try to, it, no culture starts first. It's the way you coach. I think, and I, I'm, you know, I wonder if you've encountered this for me, at least this has been my experience through, through juniors, uh, through college and through pro pretty much the drills we do are all the same at every level. Yes. It's just yes. the way it's done and the energy and intensity and focus and discipline. There's no magic like, oh, like, what's this coach know that about my forehand? Like, I, I, I get a lot of people that come at that are like, 
oh, like that. We want to work on forehand extension, right? That fetter. That's not the secret. You know, I'll get the kid and then they're not moving their feet. I'm like, it doesn't matter if I teach him the forehand. He can't move in the first place. And I tell him to move and he doesn't move. The forehand is not going to stick, you know, and that's why I love like so much about what you're saying. You know, you know and the, the thing is, just like you said, man, you, you coach some top juniors and, and you've been at the highest level of coaching, traveling with Riley. You know, like you've seen what all the other top dogs are doing like Djokovic and Roger. I mean, like you've been on court with those guys and you know, they're not doing anything special. Just about a month ago, the USTA invited me down for this really cool high performance uh, meeting. And it was, you know, very flattering, you know, to be invited because it was pretty much the entire USTA staff and just a handful of private sector coaches. And Jose Higueras was one of the main guys running a lot of the drills. And as amazing as some of the stuff he did was, it's so simple, but it's just so simple. And he kept saying, good coaches focus on simplicity. Okay. So just like you said, it's not trying to be this like incredibly creative coach. It's, tennis is just a bunch of cross courts and down the lines. <laughs> yeah. but, but how can you do them well? How can you do them well? I remember sitting with Brad Gilbert uh, and I was just like, okay, what, what did you tell somebody like, um, Andre Agassi. And he said, do you want to know when I started working with Andre and I told him, want to be number one in the world? Yeah, of course. Hit the ball down the line less. You're just going down the line way too much. You're changing direction too early. I'm like, that was it? Yes. And that's the kind of stuff he's doing with Coco now. I talk to him a lot. Okay. These guys, they're good because they're simple. They don't try to get into the mind of the player and bend it, you know, because that just makes it more complicated. So simplicity is the name of the game. So just like you said, a lot of these coaches, they know the game, but they try to sell this dream. You know, I'm going to, the forehand extension, the, the Djokovic backhand, whatever it is. For me, because I know that every other coach in other academies, they're going to be able to do that. How do I differentiate myself from the rest of the pack? Is by creating that culture. Because we know no matter how good the kid becomes, sooner or later, those records are going to be retired. Okay, and I want to make sure that throughout that journey, they made a lot of friends. They became good people ready to take on good jobs, to be good moms, good dads, and just good people overall, man. You know, like I, my relationship with my former players, with a bunch of them, is still phenomenal. I was the groomsman for a lot of their weddings, and I had three of them next to me when I got married. That's more important than titles, is what kind of relationship you're able to build and what kind of people you're able to help develop. So for me, that culture is important because of that, JY. I can go to bed knowing, okay, maybe that kid's not doing as well, but I know that if I stick to my beliefs and my values, those results are going to come the right way. I tell our parents and our kids all the time, you can win 20 matches in a row and be a loser in all of them. You can lose 20 matches in a row and be a winner in all of them because it comes down to how you play those matches to win or lose, and how you behave. If you play 20 matches, but you lost, but me or you, we're working on serving volley with that kid. We're working on being more aggressive, holding the baseline. Okay, We're working on slicing the back in a little bit more or grinding more, something that is pushing them out of their comfort zone. They got better in every single match, even though they lost. Okay, But you win 20 matches pushing, bunting, grinding with your butt up against the fence. Congratulations, your UTR just went up. You're a loser. And I tell them, you're a loser. 
because you just wasted three months of your career. It just got worse. UTR says otherwise. But when you get to 16s and 18s playing that way, your UTR is going to drop like there's no tomorrow. Man. So please, you know, you've got to have faith in all your coaches because I tell them, buddy, at the end of the day, I would be judged as a coach based on my results. Unfortunately, people are going to be like, Marcel is doing a good job because that kid is a 12 UTR. Marcel is doing a good job because that girl is number one in the country. So I tell them, guys, whatever I'm teaching you, whatever my coaches are teaching you, is because we believe that ultimately you're going to, it's going to make you freaking good because I need you to win. Yeah. For my academy to survive, I need you to win. So why would I teach you something that I believe in my heart? Crap, this is wrong. But you got to believe in me that throughout that arduous, painful process, at the on the other end, you're going to become better. So you look at somebody like Mason. He embraced it. I, I remember to this day, buddy, my first lesson with Mason. And one day you run into him and you ask him. I took him to the corner. Mason was lazy, slow, did not really care, was not a fighter. I took him to the corner and said, I won't feed you a ball. Are you ready to suffer? Are you ready to change your mentality? I want to I wanna see you getting out of your shell. If you're not willing to do it, let's not even waste each other's time. And he embraced it. I'm very tough on Mason, man. But our relationship is like this because I he knows I'll go to bed for him at any time. And that relationship applies to all of my other kids, all of them. So you know technique. I know technique. The coach down the street, those two. And every academy, GY, is going to develop kids. So that's why I'm, I don't, oh, we're the best academy. I consider us to be different. I don't like to say the best. We are different because of the way we are approaching development with a true holistic approach. Okay, it's, it's, it's truly a very holistic, complete approach. It's very comprehensive. And we will not deviate from the culture no matter what. You know, Hannah, number one in the country in 12. She's no longer number one, but she was number one for a long time. She'll come in here. I don't care if I'll do something with her. They'll get it. Oh, you know what? This is too much. See you later. See you later. And why do you think her mom is still loyal to us? Because she sees when Hannah is here, now she's traveling so much. She's held accountable. She's held accountable big time. Same with Mason, same with Caden and everybody else. So because at the end of the day, dude, you know, I want to be able to live in myself. Some of these coaches, they allow players to walk all over them because is driven by this. I don't yeah. care. It, I almost, I want to say that I made a mistake, but I believe so much in the culture that I'm trying to instill that what I make is not based on the amount of kids I have. Okay. Well, and I so, think, like you said, what, what's going to be so hard with your, with the way you do, it's a longer term process, right? You, people won't see how great your, your system is until 10 years down the road like when they're in their 20s and their 30s and they have this discipline, maybe their tennis accomplished what they wanted or not, but they learn to be a certain type of person. And this is when you know you have a great coach. They're going to look back and be like, Marce I, I owe Marcelo. I owe his academy. I remember that was an amazing time. That's where I grew up and learned. You know, but it, it's not in the, all right, next weekend, I'm going to I'm gonna go to Marcelo's next week. And then in two weeks, I'm going to win a tournament because they're that great over there. No, that's not, there's oh. no trick. It's, so that's, you know, and I think that that long-term, it's going to be more rewarding 
you know, and, and over time, that's actually what's probably going to bring you more people because I think people like when you're honest, upfront, and direct, not everybody likes it, but they'll respect it and they'll actually come back for it, even if they don't like it because they know that's what they need, you know. So, yeah, I'm a, uh, very blunt, man. I'm, I'm a blunt person. I, I try to be careful sometimes because I don't want to ever come across rude. I have the utmost respect for my pet for the parents that come to our academy, you know, like they, they're the ones making my, you know, our business here at Windy Hill thrive, but they need to understand that being blunt is good because at least I'm not behind your back criticizing what you do with your kids. I'll tell you, and we can have a dialogue. We can even, I've had some really heated conversations with parents, man, because they're used to calling other coaches. Oh, I'm like, I want my kid to be on that court. I want my kid to be with that, playing with that kid, well, I don't care what you want. You know, I run the business. I know my job the same way that you're very good at what you do and I don't tell you how to do it. So, but I always make sure that when that phone call is done, we always end up on good terms on the same page. So it can be very heated in the beginning, but we navigate through that conversation and we're able to hang up the phone. Hey, because I respect parents that also talk to me. I prefer that than the ones that gossip. Hey, can you believe he's doing that? No, call me, complain, no problem. Come at me, especially coming from the college world, man. You're so used to complaints and, and arguments and just like, parents, why isn't my kid playing one? Why is it? No, 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 no. Why are you cutting my scholarship? So you're so used to that and the pressure of winning that dealing with these parents in the junior world is not that tough. They're overall very, very great. And they want to advocate for their kids. Can never blame a parent for that, never. So you well, want to call me, advocate, advocate for your kid. Let's go. Let's go. Now let me tell you why I disagree with you. And I try to show all the facts to get them to understand. And usually nine out of 10 times, we're able to shake hands, hug it out, and we're all good. Right. And you talk about parents. I think uh, you have a certain rule right on, on parents watching practices and stuff that's also very very different but i think very helpful in a way but they talk to us about just that rule and why you think it's so important you know we talk about parents oh my, my child should be on this court and that and that is a huge problem because then it gets in their child's head and this and that so yeah talk to us about how you run those practices manage parents being there and getting involved right right so th there's no doubt that as we develop these kids, it, it's a team. It's a team effort, and the parents play a humongous role. Okay, you know, like without them, the kids never gonna get to where they're, you know, they're supposed to be getting. However, having a parent during practice is disruptive. Uh, a lot, a lot of these kids, they're looking so much, they're yearning for affirmation from the parents. So they'll hit a ball and look at the parent on the bleachers. Did I hit the ball well? So it becomes so much more about the parent than the kid. Instead of the kid being completely dialed in, just trying to get better. So that pursuit of affirmation from the parents is detrimental. A lot of our parents are former tennis players. So they want to coach, okay? I've been in situations where I'll, I'll bring the kids into a huddle. I'm talking to the kids and there's a couple of parents behind me, literally JY, telling them, hey, do this you know and the kid is not looking at me i can see that he's looking at the parent and when i turn they bring their arms back down so it's like okay 
you come in here because you believe that we got something special to offer to your kid. You're paying a good premium for that, but you are coming here to coach your kid. Go coach him down the street. Okay, so it's disruptive, the whole affirmation thing, and is disrespectful to the coaches. We are very good at what we do. Okay, I got a staff that you, you go down the list and you look at the resume of my coaches, they can run a program of their own. Okay, so you have these five coaches that really achieved huge goals in their profession. But I have a, a, a parent who played tennis 30 years ago and now no longer holds a racket, but he or she thinks that they know more than we do. Okay, so for that reason, I don't want them around. Okay, do I want them to call me and ask how things are going? Yes. Should we have meetings to talk about their kids' development? Yes. Do I want them to give me feedback in tournaments when I'm not able to be there? Without a doubt. Not emotional feedback. Okay? Tell me, you know, how was the decision making? How was the overall intensity? You know, not like, oh, he lost. You know, like, I can't believe. No. Don't be emotional. Try to be a little bit analytical and tell me how I need to, uh, to address it. But even when it's emotional, I tell them, be the parent. If the kid misbehaved, let me know. I'll address it. I remember to this day, I had a Zoom session with Darren Cahill. Uh, and we had a bunch of kids. And some parents were kind of like roaming around behind the, the, the screen. And Darren, Darren, at the end, asked all the parents, parents, bring it in. Bring it in. I'm going to end it with this. Parents, be parents. Let the coach coach. And he told his own story, how he's got two kids. And he's like, I'll go to their tournaments. And it was so good to be able to sit down and just watch my kids play. If, if they want, in my opinion, I'll give it to them. But I'll allow the coach to do a lot of the work. And that's what I want to do with my son. As my son gets older, I want one of my coaches to work with him. Okay? I want to be in the background. If he wants my participation, I'm here. But I want him to be able to look at me during a tournament and not see a judgmental eye. Okay? I've had parents that try to come in and they're, they're, they're making kids cry, man, during practice. I'm like, how is that beneficial? So parents, for the most part, they understand it. They see that what we're trying to do is not hide. Oh, we're not going to work hard because parents are not here. Actually, it's the opposite. When parents are not around, it allows me freedom to talk to these kids the way I want to talk to them. because. By being there, we can feel handcuffed. They, be handcuffed. they become a hindrance to our ability to coach because now I'm like, if I'm very tough on that boy, is that mom thinking that it's too much? So parents present makes us better, worse coaches, and it makes the kids worse players, in my opinion. So I feel like it's a much healthier environment. In a recreational scenario, completely different. Completely different. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to go to the lesson with my boy. I do not mind when they come to tennis lessons. So tennis lessons, I allow parents to come because it's much easier for me to keep an eye on one parent and address the situation if it does become a nuisance. But when you allow a bunch of parents to come, a bunch of kids around, it becomes a circus. So for private lessons, that way they don't feel so isolated there's a little bit of a compromise. We meet halfway, come to the privates, don't come to the drills. Yeah, I, I love it. Well, look, I, I think the last thing I want to hit on, which is 
one of the final things that makes you guys so unique and hard to find a program like this is you talked about your holistic approach. Uh, and I don't think people understand exactly the entirety of that, right? It's not just the, how you coach, coach them and the culture, but the things you've put in place with yoga, meditation, uh, fitness, nutrition, everything. I mean, and, but, and that's mandatory part of the program. That is what you say. You don't sign up and just not take part in all this. You're either in or out. So just talk to us about how you built that uh, just for a few minutes and, and why you think it's so important to include that or not be a part of it at all. Well, I, I, I truly believe that, especially coming from the background that I have, if we're doing that with college players and we're doing that with professional players, why aren't we taking that approach with junior players to make them even more prepared for the college world? You know, you know, as a top collegiate player, I'm sure you remember your freshman teammates coming in just weak mentally, weak physically, just not being able to keep up with a sophomore after just putting in one year of collegiate competition under their belts. So one for of me, yeah, there you go. So for me, I was like, okay, I want to create something that really puts us apart in a different category. Is it easy to do it? No. Again, it goes back to my luck and being a fortunate guy to have this club that is a state-of-the-art club which we just have one or two in the entire region that allows me to offer that. But it's also the mindset that the program comes as a package. We don't piecemeal. There's no coming twice a week, three times a week. So I wanted from the get-go, I told my, my, my supervisors, we need to do a four-to-one ratio. Obviously, in a perfect world, it should be a two-to-one ratio. But then the dollar amount will be too high for anybody to be able to afford. But so many of these academies which we know for a fact are putting five, six on court, but it's not even Four. a coach. It's, but it's not even one coach for those five, six. It's <laughs> a coach for 12 to 14. And it's like, it's not coaching. This is just baskets being brought out to the tennis court and it's doing what the janitor can do. Follow through, move your feet, let's go guys, well done. So. There, there are people that enjoy that because you pay, you get what you pay for. You're paying the three, $400 a month. You're going to get that. You cannot complain. Uh, fitness is optional or it's just mostly let's do some sprints on the court. Okay. I didn't want that. I wanted to be able to really put a collegiate program within a junior program. And that's exactly what we got, JY. So we got the four to one ratio. I got a cap of 20 kids. I don't take more than 20. Five courts, five coaches, 20 kids. We have fitness every day, okay? Fitness with fitness coaches that are specialized and specified to tennis players. There's a proper periodization design for each kid. Each kid has a spreadsheet with numbers that are input daily. Uh, there's training blocks where there's like power, agility, movement quality, hypertrophy, uh, flexibility, always done. We got two fitness coaches that are full-time with us. We got a yogi who's a top yogi who works a lot on flexibility, mobility, mindfulness, and meditation, mandatory as well. Uh, we have, a, we have a, an athletic trainer that comes out once a week to look at injured kids. He's actually 
a five-hole player himself, and he works for a top orthopedist who is an ATP WTA orthopedist. So because we have that partnership with them, somebody gets hurt today, the, do the doctor is able to see this kid tomorrow, even though he's got a wait list for a normal patient. Okay, so that guy comes in and he's like, Marcelo, that kid's technique is injury prone. Okay, so we got an official partnership. So he's allowed to use our massage table if he needs to tape a kid, to work on the kid, do some muscle manipulation. So we got that. We got a sports psychologist and a, and a mental performance coach that comes every Friday to meet with the kids and also do some privates. We work on the side with a nutritionist, okay? And I might be adding some different features very soon. So, so we're trying to really have this 360 approach. You know, we try to really make sure that these kids are being taken care of in every single facet of the game because we know that is going to make the difference, okay? We as older coaches, we know how nutrition is such a key component. You look at somebody like Djokovic, you know, like the guy is still a beast and almost unbeatable to this day because of the way he, he eats, man. Such a clean diet. You know, recovery, we work on recovery a lot. So Tiago, our head fitness coach, he's so into prevention. He used the word longevity a lot and recovery. So we do that a lot with the kids, you know, like we flush it out. And that's why I wanted to bring uh, the yoga into the mix. We also work with, the, with our massage therapist. Just last Thursday, we had a yoga session with the massage therapist in it. So he would grab kids one at a time and work on them on the table. Mini session, but something very special. Okay, so the kids are doing yoga, the masseuse, five to 10 minutes working with individual kids, sending them back to the yoga session. How many academies are doing that? <laughs> Very few, man. Very few. And, you know, I think that's why, I mean, since you started this, I mean, you told me what you were trying to create. It's only been about two years, roughly, and you've already been able to put so many, so many things in place. I mean, it, it's an amazing job, you know, and I think. That's, that's why you're one of the most respected coaches and why I, I recommend you. There's only two people I, I recommend off the bat right away. Hey, I'm going to Atlanta. Where can I go train? Marcelo is one of your guys. If you're going to be in the area, you have to go to him first. Just check it out. And like we've said, it's not for everybody, but you have to at least take a look because it's that good with everything you do. So look, man, I thank you so much for your time. Um, why, why don't you just tell everyone where they can find you, where they want to, you know, if they want to come up and see your program, you're on Instagram as well. Just tell them how they can reach out to you so they can try you out. Sure, sure. So, yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram. I don't even know my handle by heart, man. You know, I can just <laughs> oh, I'll share right here. Yeah, but it is Coach is it Marcelo Ferreira, Ferreira Tennis. Coach Ferreira. So, Coach okay. Ferreira Tennis, uh, you, you, can, you can put that down, brother, and – you guys can reach reach me uh, through through my phone number, 818-450-7836. We don't really have anything on the website because it's such a, it's almost like an invitational only type of program. Uh, when people want to sign up, we we tell them, you know, like right now we have a wait list. So people need, and, and we've had a wait list for a while now 
for all three programs, for our homeschool, for our junior high performance, you know, the nine to 10, 11 year old kids, and for our after school. But when kids wanna be on the wait list, I tell them to come over, do a two day uh, trial, because if I don't feel like they're a good fit, not level, level is one of the components and it's very small, it's more of the mindset and are you embracing the culture? So if you guys wanna come try it out, even if the space is not there right now, the spot's right there, uh, you can call me, send me a message through Instagram or my email is marceloferreira2310 at gmail.com. Well, Marcelo, thank you so much. I'll put all that info when I upload all this. And man, I know you got a lot of work today. So thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity, man. You know, like uh, the respect is 100% mutual. Uh, I know your story, you know, like I, I was coaching college already when you were playing. Uh, I never had the chance to coach against you. Uh, I started playing your school after you left, but I remember what a badass player you were. And I just feel like we crossed paths four or five years ago. Since then, we've been wanting to do something together. Maybe we will, but I'm just happy that at least we're able to get this first uh, podcast together. Hopefully we get to do a lot of more things together. You are doing a phenomenal job with a lot of the juniors that you sent our way. We see how much they improve with, with just your technical and strategical work, but you send us kids that really embrace what we're trying to do because you are doing a great job with their character development as well. Um, and it's no, it's no surprise that you have so many people coming from different states to work with you. It's, it's no surprise. And it's also no surprise why Riley wants you back in his corner. Okay, you're phenomenal at what you do. And I'm very honored to be part of the JY circle. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, I'm honored to be part of yours because I know how much you respect culture and character. And uh, this is step one of uh, our time together. And, you know, there'll be a step two in the future. I hope so, brother. Have a great day and stay in touch. Thanks, man. All right. See you. Bye.